Vivid Nectar Podcast, episode 248. We're going to be starting off with the new One Piece chapter 1064. From there, we're going to dive into some Dragon Ball Super conversation. Recently, almost watched the entire anime. Got about 10 episodes to go. And, you know, I want to do a quick recap on my second watch. Last time I watched it was when it finished almost two to three years ago. From there, I'm going to give a full review on the new Netflix show, The Watcher. I released a mini, mini review on the first two or three episodes a couple of days ago after finishing it. Well, you guys are about to hear it. And then we're going to end it off with an update on Travis Scott Live Nation lawsuits, a settlement that was just done recently. And we're going to give you, I'm going to give you more information on that. So to start off, One Piece chapter 1064. I'm pretty sure we knew it was Aokiji on the cover chapters freezing anybody. For anybody that wanted to question whether it was Ice or any other kind of power, Aokiji and the other Blackbeard associate, I forgot his name, of course, have putting captured and, you know, the front page. I'm sort of surprised Oda went on to confirm that, hey, we like showing Aokiji, the other Blackbeard subordinate and putting because for the most part, I'm like, all right, we 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 know we know it's Aokiji. We know about what happened, but to dedicate a whole page to them just standing firmly right there, hands across, is like Blackbeard pirates are business. They're serious. But going on into the chapter, just how serious we have Blackbeard continuing his attack on Law, going on using his move Quake Crash against Law. And before I dive into it, it feels a bit weird knowing that. Somewhere, Blackbeard is getting updates about everyone's power-ups, how strong they're getting. There's a quote right here. No one told me his power could do that when Law decides to use Room and then amputate. (laughs) I forget the pirate's name, but amputating the ugly horse Pegasus. What, his name's Stronger, right? His name's Stronger? Something like that. Anyhow, Law cutting him in half. Blackbeard, of course, being surprised that he didn't know Law was capable of this. So it goes to show you that Blackbeard, of course, he's calculated. Every step he makes, he makes sure there's a high level of success. But there's this, the random factor that can come into a fight really throws him off. Not to the point where he's completely frustrated and gives up, but something that he heavily relies on. And that I believe is going to be a fault for his fighting tactics as we continue through on the series. Anyhow, he uses Quake Quake Crash. We see the impact, we see the force it has on the ocean around it. But I just... It's just weird. Am I the only one who feels Blackbeard's powers are just slightly inconsistent with the amount of force? Actually, I could separate this in two ways. It's consistent in the fact that there are certain moments where it doesn't destroy everything. I would like to believe, of course, Blackbeard taking full control of his powers because he can't destroy the entire landscape and accidentally kill all his crewmates. As much as he might not have a need for them and is willing to even have them die for the sake of him completing his mission, at the end of the day, Blackbeard without a crew, he isn't becoming a Yonko. Blackbeard without a crew, he's, he's not going to become the Pirate King. So there's a certain level of awareness he needs whenever he's using his powers. And I say that to say the hard pirates that are facing the shockwaves from that move. I'm just like, uh, I, I believe some of them should be passed out. The fact that some of them are like holding on to the floor. Yeah, we got some of them tumbling, falling backwards, but not like passed out or even comatose. So I don't know how I feel about that. I'm going to let this marinate for the next week until the new chapter. But yeah, the guy's name stronger. Of course, they also, the hard pirates, it's funny, they have bombs that are apples. Apple bombs. Wow, amazing, right? And they use that to escape into the water. And we're having some underwater warfare going on, which is a nice, a nice change of pace with this series. We, we get it. For the most part, hockey, devil fruits. 
Of course, we have some weaponry shown throughout the series, but underwater combat has been something that we really haven't seen much of. We've seen Law and his crew, of course, swim in their submarine, but to take advantage of the sea, I felt it's a very underrated aspect of the story that hasn't been fleshed out enough to the point where it's just, it sort of makes sense. If you're having a vast majority of pirates and Marines take advantage of devil fruits and hockey that are for the most part land-based attacks and abilities, why not have the strategies, the tactics, and weaponry to use underwater to sort of offset that? But I believe that's what we're seeing right here for the first time. So of course, we get the impact from the crash wave and law. And then from there, we get the hard pirates that are getting a little bit of shine. I feel Oda has been listening to everybody bashing Law's crew to the point of why does he even have a crew? Why doesn't he stick with the Straw Hats? How dare Law even associate himself with all these fodders? In all seriousness, they're showing showing a little bit of value. They're showing a little bit of reliability here. Oda emphasizing that, hey, you know, they're, they're not the Straw Hats. Damn, they're not even regular fodder pirates. That might be just a little bit of a threat. But the fact that they're, you know, they even made, they even made the statement to emphasize that their specialty with water tactics, water tactics, you know, being in the water, surviving the cold. What's his name? It's a big mistake to underestimate us when we grew up in the harsh cold waters of the North Blue. For Oda to emphasize that, he's like, hey, I want this. I want y'all to know this is a thing. Fighting underwater, we're going to make this a thing. Hopefully it continues. Now, Gene Bart, the sniper, shoot, of course, trying to get Law behind his back. Law has his... Uh, not captain mate, teammate, teammate. He has an associate protecting his back. We do have a good amount of teamwork and chemistry from Lost Crew showing that even though we all know 99.5% of the firepower of the Heart Pirates are from Law, that other 0.5% is enough to protect him from potentially getting sniped from the back, potentially having everybody die while he's handling the business. Like, hey, hey. We could survive law. We could survive. Emphasis on surviving because I'm not going to hype him up too much. We could survive enough to where law is able to solo everybody. And to see the confidence, something that I spoke about last chapter from law, also being very calculated, taking advantage of opportunities to be like, oh, Blackbeard's here? Oh, I'm going to fold him. I'm going to take his poneglyph, fold him, cut him in half. I'm going to become Pirate King. And everyone else is just going to go along with it. Love seeing that in practice instead of just cockiness. And... The shock willy, the awakened move Law has used against Big Mom, seeing it against Blackbeard. And just how I want to say it's the blood, like the little bits of black coming out of Blackbeard. It's definitely blood. Coming out to a point where it's just like, oh, we saw what it did against Big Mom. Blackbeard being somebody who does not like getting hurt, does not like taking damage, or even feels damage a lot more due to his yami yami nomi. It's going to be pretty brutal for him. And to even have his associate, who I'm already forgetting his name. It's okay. Gene Bart. To even have Gene Bart commenting, this is what happens when you charged in half cock. goes to show you Blackbeard, as calculated as he is, he's impatient to a certain degree. Impatient and doesn't, and overestimates his opponents from what we're seeing so far. Now, one thing that I love, whether it's the Will D, whether it's just Blackbeard just needing to conquer his goal is a he a little bit, you know, he could have a, he could have those moments where he likes to run away. He doesn't commit all the way. But in this moment right here, damage received. Right now, the boats are being attacked. Floating, almost falling off into the ocean. He wants to finish what he started. And he's bleeding in the mouth, but with a smile. Something we love whenever we see people 
with the D last name, whether it's Law, whether it's Luffy or Blackbeard, they're going to continue fighting. They're going to they're gonna get a certain enjoyment out of it. And I feel as we get more Blackbeard, from pre-time skip Blackbeard, I wouldn't say he never enjoyed a battle. But I'm really feeling like Blackbeard right now is in it for the fight. Like more than ever, he's really thriving out of getting hit or even doing the attack. Now, I know Rayleigh, Rayleigh, Rayleigh made him run away. Made him run away with his tail behind his legs. But right now, Blackbeard, this, this, this aura we're getting, it reminds me of Luffy to a certain extent where he's here to stay and he wants to continue going, even if it means his life potentially. Now, Law, of course, sort of making a funny joke like, yo, everybody, everybody in your crew got devil fruits. You're all anchors. All right, Law, you're trying to be a funny guy. Law trying to be a funny guy in the middle of, band, middle of battle. And, you know, just sort of sending it off to Blackbeard. Blackbeard double, you know, doing a double down on his statement of you know, the devil fruit powers are worth the trade-off. And we're about to see if this is, if this is one of the ideals that they're going to be fighting mentally with each other. Like Law, be someone who carries his entire crew. Him being the only one with a devil fruit versus Blackbeard, obviously, and his whole entire crew of devil fruit users. Which one will win? Which one will win? This is going to be fun. I don't believe either side's going to win. There's going to be a certain type of stalemate or trade-off. But right now, with Blackbeard's ship being targeted, Law having his associates underneath the water trying to take it down, and Blackbeard just, of course, heavily relying on his Devil Fruit abilities and the somewhat clean and not clean chemistry between him and his subordinates, it really adds a fun dynamic to the entire battle where it's unpredictable isn't as cohesive and is pretty surprising, especially again from the Heart Pirates. From there, we transition back. Oh, actually, I take that back. From there, we see Pudding with her three eyes, three eyes, three eyes, where she makes a statement where I want to wait for the official translations because depending on where you're reading it from, there's the statement that Mama's going to make you eat those words if she's still alive or the other variation of that um, Big Mom is dead. She's able to say that she's dead. and then. You know, right now, sort of getting that confirmation, depending on the translations, it's a little too early, depending on which translation. So I want to wait for the official translation to see, all right, is through her words, are we going to get that official Big Mom is dead? Because me, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that Big Mom and Kaido are dead, even though Oda put them in a volcano and and it erupted, destroyed, apocalyptic. I'm, I just can't buy. I just can't buy. They just died in a volcano. I could believe it, but I can't buy it. If y- y'all understand what I'm saying, I'm just a little bit like, ee. we're going to see. We're going to see. Sorry, it's getting a little hot in these headphones. And then we get one final clash between Law and Blackbeard with Blackbeard using Black Vortex. Now, this Black Vortex, that menacing look, seeing the darkness emit from his fingers. Law just a little bit surprised and sort of questioning the way this move is. I can't wait to see how it leads on to the next chapter. And I'm really loving this half and half split Oda has been doing where it's half Straw Hats, half other events in the world. And I'm all for it. I would love, not the entirety, but for this to be more of a thing. We're seeing less and less updates of, you know, monologue through other people like, hey, this happened at this island. This happened recently at this town. It's like, no, instead of just getting reports, talking about it, we're going to see it. And that's something that well, One Piece, as much as I love, I don't want to hear about Aokiji and Akainu and the island fighting each other. I want to see it. I don't want to hear about what Law, Blackbeard, and Kobe did. 
I want to see it. So for now that we're seeing something this important, let's keep it up, Oda. Let's keep it up. Now, this panel right here, this, this could have been, honestly, we didn't need this. This could have been an update. But of course, the Marines spying. Would I say spying? Yeah, spying on Blackbeard and Law, understanding that right now they have made contact on Winter Island. And Akainu just being frustrated that they really can't do much, which is a bit unfortunate. After the statement Akainu had where he's going to take things into the offensive and to having another event where he's just sort of on standby. Of course, there's only so much he can do being the fleet admiral. I don't believe you could just leave whenever. I would like to, next time we see the Marines, I would like the Marines to be more on the offensive. Less on the defensive. Yes, we've had two Yonkos defeated. Things are going crazy. We need the Marines to step up. If they really want to put, you know, put these pirates away, we're going to need that foot. We're going to need that firepower. We're going to need them to set that presence they had early on in One Piece. We, I need to see, yo, I need to see, I was about to say a Yonko. We need to see an Admiral just steamroll somebody. One-on-one, give the beats. Even if not steamroll, we need to see that pressure. Because right now, these pirates, they're running laps, Olympic gold medalists, they swimming through. And we just need a little bit more tension. Now, going on to Egghead Island, for whatever reason, Bonnie has aged up Luffy to, God, <laughs> Luffy looks terrible, turn herself into a kid. Chopper old and Jembe. I believe this is the official kid Jembe drawing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but with, a, you know, still same outfit, so on and so forth. And from there, they just basically confirm what kind of person was Kuma through Bonnie with Jembe under the impression from the information he's received that Kuma was a tyrant, a terrible king and sort of Bonnie being like, no, he wasn't a terrible king. And, you know, just giving us more information as far as like, why did things go the way he did? And we've seen this before through a couple of things through the One Piece storyline where the world government of the Marines, they change the narrative that favors them. They rewrite history. I mean, for crying out loud, the void century for the most part, people, 99.9% of the population have no idea what it even is, or they just only know of it, not even what really happened in there. And I say that to say, of course, with Bonnie explaining more about Kuma, more about the guy he was. And when he was eventually caught by the Navy, his ties to the revolutionaries came to the light and they gave him a life sentence. You know, just some official confirmation. That's how things went down. Vegapunk taking an interest on him due to his physical prowess, pros, his physical abilities. And then, of course, so he was offered the opportunity to roam the seas again as a warlord. All of that we understood. But, you know, getting that confirmation instead of just sort of headcanon, it feels a lot better. And again, we're at a point of one piece, less questions, more answers. I'm here for it. Now having, yeah, Bonnie, she picked up a weapon. What is it? That shoots, uh, that shoots a laser? I believe so. A laser or a beam saber. There we go. Luffy fangirling over a chopper. It looks like that man looks like he's about to die. You give him some water. He's going to be a skeleton in a little bit. And then to, we get, we get a bit of a bombshell here. Bonnie giving more information that Vegapunk is part of a very special race. Now, this is not completely out of this world, but it just gives Vegapunk that extra, that extra kick. We already know one of the greatest scientists to find out there's now six versions of him with a main vessel, but then to find out the original, potentially. Potentially. We, we still don't know how things are going to go from here. 
but that the original was part of a very special race. Lunarian, something else, we have no idea. Just adds a little bit more mystery, but not too much where we're ever like, oh man, we'll never figure that out. We're going to figure it out. This arc, no doubt about it. And to finish that off, if it's Lunarian, this will make sense with the recent Sifrims. Sifrims, you know, a little young pacifistas. And then Chopper, being the only one that's sort of like a special race. Am I the only one questioning? Luffy's like, yeah, yeah, you go, Bonnie. And then from there, we get the rest of the crew flying off and eventually getting their new uniforms, having a little bit of chitter chatter. And there's nothing in here from these last two or three chapters where it's like information that needs to be understood. It's the same, the same thing that Luffy and them went through the introduction to Egghead Island, being captivated by the scenery. Of course, outfit changes, which Sanji looks a, not too goofy, but the Hawaiian shirt with, the, with his Yeezys, with his boots, looks a little bit off. Frankie looks like a toy. Usopp is it's straight. We got the jacket, regular boots. Now, Nami. Nami and Robin, they're looking nice. They're looking nice right there. Sanji's even going crazy over there. I, I'm here for you, Sanji. I mean, I'm here with you, Robin, right now. Especially Robin. They said we don't... Actually, Nami... I'm, I'm fangirling at the moment. Looking amazing. Now... The last bit, honestly, the last bit, aside from the law and Blackbeard, this is, this is getting things spicy. Vegapunk is speaking to somebody. They're speaking to somebody. He's giving this monologue of that he could see his own future coming. And he believes in his future that he's going to be dying soon. And then we just see a little, we just see a little box saying, hey, don't, don't, don't joke around about something like that. As far as that, seeing your own future, we don't need to hear that right now. And then Vegapunk to say, I just, I just wanted you to know. I, I'm just trying to tell you how I feel. What? We can't, we can't share our feelings. Listen, I, th- I think it's important for the men in this one piece world because there seems to be a, an extreme lack of mothers. It's okay to talk one another, be therapeutic with each other, share your emotions. <laughs> but then to finally end it off, he says, dragon. And that right there changed everyone. When I first read that, that bubble right there saying dragon, I got goosebumps. I'm like, okay, okay, this is, how are these two connected? The chapter says it. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it because it's just like, all right, Dr. Vegapunk working for the government, but having ties with Dragon from the Revolutionary Army. And then things go full circle with Dragon fully understanding, well, with Dragon not understanding everything about Kuma, but Kuma being a revolutionary, no, it's just like, all right, what kind of, how, how deep is this relationship? How deep are the roots? How much information and involvement these two have together? Is it sort of a, we just chop it up? Do you give me some some equipment? I give you information. This is mind-blowing. We were definitely going to get a large, not just a large amount of it. We're going to get information specified to the Lunarians. I could bet that much. These are going to be my theories for the chapters as we go on through this arc. More information as far as the amount of races in the One Piece world, races that are outside on the moons, Lunarians, DNA, more into the devil fruits, where they come from, how they're created. And for Luffy, I believe everyone to really understand devil fruits more and how this is all going to lead on. And this is just based off the main Vegapunk. We're going to see how the other six, what kinds of information they're able to teach each other, pass through, and all these bits of information, how we're going to we're going to start connecting everything bit by bit until we truly understand 
more of the One Piece world, more, more of his powers, mechanics, and I'm excited. One Piece chapter 1064, as far as pure adrenaline and hype, it was all right. It was all right. Um, just starting off with Law and Blackbeard was extremely exciting, but we had a bit of a cool down. Things, for the most part, I wouldn't even say was filled with a lot of information that was new, but rather it was sort of confirming things we might have already had based off of theories and introducing new relationships between two pivotal characters in the series, Dragon and Dr. Vegapunk. Can't wait for the next week. Let me know your thoughts on it. Now, from here, Dragon Ball Super. All right, Dragon Ball Super. Recently, rewatched a good portion of it. I might have missed two or three episodes here or there, but I've been addicted. I've been hooked. Dragon Ball Super on my second watch is just as exhilarating as my first time watching it. Now, I will focus on art and animation for now. Art and animation, there's definitely plenty of moments throughout the entire series where it's just like, we could have done better. Of course, if we, if we go deeper, whether it's um, time constraints, whether it's budget, whatever the case is, it happened. But there's a lot of moments in there where I'm just like, this is pretty ugly to watch. This is, this is hurting my eyes a little bit. But aside from the choppy art and animations, what Dragon Ball Super is getting, uh, when fights are getting intense, is still able to hold that Dragon Ball caliber of fighting that we all know and love. And honestly, it's addicting. It's like, it's like having two cans of monsters back to back every single episode. And right now I'm in the part of the tournament of power where Goku's going ultra instinct and then eventually he loses it. So I'm basically, I'm like 20 episodes left before I finish the series. But watching it in such a, in such a tight time frame as opposed to week by week, I have better appreciation for it. From, I believe, 2015 to 2017. 2017, I believe it ended in 2017. There were a lot of moments where I nitpicked or, of course, in comparison to Z, whether it's the art of animation or even some of the story elements weren't, didn't have a lot of love for it. But rewatching it again, I appreciate it for what it is. Even if almost every arc is a tournament of power. I mean, from a, going all the way back, that's how, that's how it is sometimes. One thing that I really love about Super is the world building that I want them to continue to capitalize on for this next saga in the manga. And to switch over to the manga real quick, we've had a little bit of exploration, but one issue that we're having with the manga is that as soon as there's the tiniest bit of exploration, we sort of get stuck to a certain spot on a planet. We sort of get stuck to the villain, the surrounding environment, and we never really just go off on an adventure and continue to see new environments, new cities, new people, just have the world expand and, and you know, just find more lore, more, more storylines or legends, things along that line. And something that I loved about watching Super is that you felt the universe expand. You felt the story being bigger than Goku. As much as he's the main character, like there's more to Dragon Ball than just Goku. And that's something that Super has nailed perfectly from the vast introduction to universes and character all the way up to the Tournament of Power where we get damn near 30 plus characters genuinely not just oh I'm here and I'm gone they throw some moves they fight a bit and there's a good amount of back and forth something that I believe the manga of super hasn't done particularly well but as far as the anime because eventually it'll go up to that arc that has that has me real excited and throughout the entire time I'm really in there like 
I feel like I feel like I'm watching it for the first time again. And it also reminded me how amazing Ultra Instinct was 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 the first time and how Ultra Instinct right now is at a point of all right. Oh yeah, I've sort of Ultra Instinct, I could do it normally, but it's just like Ultra Instinct isn't strong enough. So now you have to level up Ultra Instinct more and the usual stuff. Like once Goku went Super Saiyan God, it was crazy. But now we have to go Super Saiyan Blue. Ultra Instinct, crazy. But now we have to, we have to perfect Ultra Instinct. But I feel at some point we're going to get another transformation. And that's been my fun with Dragon Ball Super. I'm not going to sit here and give you a spill episode by episode. But some of the some of the highlights, some of the things I'm enjoying or I'm enjoying more are still haven't aged so good. Going on from here, I'm going to talk about the new Netflix show, The Watcher. I recently discussed episode two or threes. I finished the series about two or, yeah, two or three days ago. So we're going to do a little recap. We're going to do a little review. And to give you a quick summary, a family moves into a big house. And of course, their, their neighbors, they're a bit weird. They get strange later, uh, letters in the house that describe the entire family as far as the husband, wife, kids, and that there's basically a stalker that writes to them, a watcher. Someone's, someone called the watcher is writing to them detailed and to the point where they're talking about blood, they're talking about, uh, not talking about just blood, but basically in a threatening way to the owner that, hey, you don't belong around here. And some of his own sins are the reason things are happening. So the Watcher is torturing the family. Now, you might be asking, in what ways, for those of you that aren't familiar with the show, as far as paranoia, paranoia and the fact that the owner, Dean, the husband, let me, let me just take a step back real quick. The family consisting of Dean, Nora, I believe Ellie, and I forget the name of the son, but he's basically useless. Right now, there's somebody that's stalking the family, sending them threatening letters, and the uh, rising sense of paranoia starts driving them mad. More energy is being spent on who is sending these letters. There's suspicious neighbors across the streets that are sort of overlooking them. <clears throat> they're strange, they're weird, and they're trying to figure out, are one of them the ones sending us the threatening letters? Now, I would like to say initially, I was getting some if there was any sense of horror in the show, they're really, at the beginning, it gets eradicated as the episodes go on. At some point when you think there might be paranormal activities or a genuine threat that wants to kill this family, it doesn't exist. It, it sort of t- tries to tie, tug and tie you through those directions, but it falls flat completely as the series continues to go on. So the family, mainly the husband, Dean, he takes, he takes the approach of ordering cameras having to take his family to a motel. They're still getting letters all the way to the hotel, still being threatened, paranoia. The cameras aren't helping. It's affecting his work life. So in there, he doesn't get the promotion he wants. His family relationship starts to decrease. The wife is also scared. Um, the daughter, she's going through her own teenage, through her own teenage phase of having to give her dad attitude or doing some, doing ridiculous things. Actually, no. Uh, let me slow down. She has to deal with the added stress her father is experiencing to where he starts being overprotective and, you know, not overstepping, but any little thing she wears, you know, it's be like, oh, why are you wearing that? Put clothes on or whatever. And she's just wearing like a bra strap. So we're seeing how it's impacting him emotionally and how it's carrying on to the rest of the family. There's moments where we have like a ferret die and you're like, oh, my God, who killed the ferret? Was it a ghost? Was it somebody breaking in? But then when you really sit back, and you're like, I really don't care about the ferret. 
And this review is a little bit messy just because I didn't love the show I did. So to finish off this second half right here, the owner, the husband, he hires a private detective to find out who's sending the letters and points them to a bunch of different directions. And it, you know, at certain moments you think it's that person, but it's really not with the suspicious, suspicious characters popping up, the way they act. And to summarize it, really, the watcher falls, ends up fall, falling flat because there is no paranormal activity. There's a bit of mystery when it comes to how the house is built, the previous owners, why the previous owners leave. Why do these, why does the watcher, why does the watcher not want us in the house? Do we have to sacrifice our kids? And we end up finding out that the watcher the entire time was a private detective that the husband, Dean, hired. And, <laughs> oh man, this is the messiest review in the world. But to really say it, The Watcher is a show that tries to convince you that there's a, that there's sort of a mysterious figure or a killer threatening this family and to take things consciously while relying on paranoia and confusion. But as the series goes on, the paranoia just doesn't quite make sense. The confusion doesn't really make sense either for the fact that if you got a big ass house and you got cameras and you've been informed that there's people potentially entering through the basement and later on in the series, you find out someone was entering through the basement or windows. It's just a matter of getting more cameras, getting a strap and all of a sudden all your problems going to be gone. Hey, listen, the watcher, besides this series being damn near trash to me, now the more I think about it, this whole series could have been prevented and done in episode one if the owner, Dean, just got more straps, got more cameras, and just kept it a buck. Anybody that trespasses grass, you're getting shot. Straight up. That bit of information he got in the beginning about there's entrances in his basement, you re- he doesn't go to his basement until the damn near the end of the series. I would have, first time someone tells me I got any tunnels in my basement, I'm going down there, I'm going to find a tunnel. It isn't a matter if, if there's a tunnel. I'm going to find it. Pour it up with concrete. Anybody I see trying to slip in there, bah, you're getting shot. Grass, you're getting shot. You, a- anybody that looks weird, you're getting shot. Cameras, we're not, we're not trusting some, somebody that just started with a camera company. We're going to someone that's official, that's been around. Are we putting them at every corner? Bah, 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 bah. We ain't wasting money in no gold hotel. Listen, there's, a, there's some elements in here of like a financial instability and insecurity through Dean and questioning why he even bought the house due to these issues. They try to go that route, but at the same time, it's just like, yo, this really could have been solved with cameras and guns. The Watcher disappoints in almost every single level, and it almost gives a solid conclusion at the end where the private detective admits she was the one trying to scare off the family, but then it gets butchered because that's not true. She made up that lie in order to comfort a family because Dean was turned into a madman. Man, this review... Messy, and that's how the show is. Messy. We're done talking about it. If you guys are interested in watching The Watcher, don't waste your time with it. Genuinely, don't waste your time. The only good thing about it is nothing. Nothing's great about it. <laughs> nothing, man. So to go on to the final bit of the podcast episode, we're going to get an update on the Travis Scott Astroworld lawsuit, Astrofest lawsuits that, of course, from last year stemming from the unfortunate events that caused 10 lives to be lost. Now, we're getting update as far as the families from Axel Acosta that it's been 
Wow, I'm having a brain fart here. All right. Acosta and Brianna Rodriguez, their two families have recently reached a settlement with Live Nation, Travis Scott, and others as far as to the events that occurred in November. Both of their lives were lost. Now, as far as the details of the settlement, it is private. They don't have too much information. And it's even reported when it comes to, I believe, Brianna's family, Brianna's Rodriguez, that the lawsuit was settled as far as far back as July 2022. But now we're getting official confirmation from attorney Tony Busby. He announced on Wednesday that the family, of course, family of 21-year-old Axel Costa had settled its lawsuit against more than 20 defendants, which included Scott, Live Nation, so on and so forth. So I wanted to give you an update as far as um, those two who have lost their lives, their families, they have settled. Live Nation, Travis Scott, so on and so forth. As far as the eight other eight other people that have lost their lives. We're going to be waiting for updates on that and to see if, you know, any other details come out of it. Now, as, as far as the settlements, I believe I haven't seen any other updates as far as the Astroworld incident, but I will be providing you guys with that as well. Much as I love listening to Travis Scott, as much as I love discussing his music, I also want to keep you guys updated on how this situation is going and any necessary steps Live Nation, Travis Scott, or anybody else would add in to prevent these kind of things. And to sort of recap some of my thoughts when it comes to the incident that occurred, Live Nation is somebody, it's a corporation that is easy to, you know, avoid and just point the finger at Travis. And the fact that Live Nation is still hosting, hosting concerts, day after day, week after week, and not really being as public as I believe they could be as far as rule changes. Yet again, maybe I haven't been paying attention to it as much. Is I, I find more issue than, with that than Travis Scott himself. But with that, I'll keep you guys updated. So any more information, I'm going to do, do more research after today's episode or find out anything as far as policy, any other family members or updates. Because this is something, it's been a while since I updated you guys on it. Now, Vivid Nectar Podcast, episode 248, we're finished. Thank you. Uh, One Piece, amazing. Dragon Ball Super, loving it right now, even in 2022. Netflix, The Watcher, is a waste of time. A horror show that tries to convince you that paranoia and having people sort of be awkward in your surrounding areas is enough to drive you insane, but it doesn't take the necessary steps provided to allow you to sort of think back and say, wait, couldn't this be solved in uh, a better manner? Like, that's my question the entire time through the show. Like, cameras and guns would have stopped this at episode one. And I thought everything from there was just building up to a certain extent on bullshit. But that's just the way it is. And then ending off, of course, Astroworld, I know, update on the settlements from the Astroworld victims' families. I'll catch you guys on the next one.